Welcome to Stop Christian Nationalism, the podcast that still believes in the dream of America as a democratic country where people have the right to make up their own minds about what to believe, where no church is given the power to control everybody's lives. Christian nationalists are trying to smash that dream. They're demanding that our democracy surrender to the power of priests and preachers. As we resist the radicalism of power-hungry churches, one thing we have on our side is the Christian nationalism paradox. Here's what the Christian nationalism paradox is. The more Christian nationalists push the idea that Christianity is the only normal way to be an American, the less normal their Christianity seems. Another way to phrase that, the more that Christian nationalists claim that the United States is a Christian nation, the fewer Americans want to be known as Christians. So one of the things that uh, Christian preachers are fond of saying is that you can't serve two masters. You cannot serve two masters. And in their classical formulation, those two masters are the Christian God and money. You can't serve. You have to choose between them. You can't serve both of them. Well, I, I want to put out a, a, a question about a similar idea. Can you serve the two masters of the Christian Bible and democracy? Are those two things compatible? Well, that's a big topic, but we're going to take a look this week at the territory of the interface between those two in Christian nationalism. What happens when biblical devotion and democracy come up against each other? You know, we used to take it for granted in the United States that our candidates for public office, though they disagreed about policy priorities, all shared the basic belief that democracy is the best form of government. But with the growth of Christian nationalism over the last few years, political Extremism in the Republican Party has become so commonplace that it can no longer be assumed that Republican politicians are in favor of keeping democracy alive in the United States. The growth of anti-democracy extremism has been particularly strong in this year's campaign for the governor of Pennsylvania on the Republican side. Republican candidate Doug Mastriano has openly stated that he wants to convert Pennsylvania's state government into a Christian theocracy. His campaign has been staffed with Christian nationalists, such as Andrew Torba, who has now written a manual, and this manual actually gives instructions for how to overthrow American democracy and replace it with a Christian dictatorship. This summer, Andrew Torba explained that he thought there could be no place for atheists or Jews 
or other non-Christians in the Doug Mastriano for governor campaign, because the Mastriano campaign, he says, is part of a purely Christian movement, by Christians only, for Christians only. Here's what he said. We are going to take back this country for the glory of God. And this is a Christian and explicitly Christian movement because this is an explicitly Christian country from its founding throughout its entire history. It has been an explicitly Christian country. The Mastriano for Governor campaign has been associated with anti-Semitic Christian nationalism on many fronts. But there is no Christian nationalist who is closer to Doug Mastriano himself than his wife, Rebecca. Rebecca Mastriano is not just the wife of Doug Mastriano, of course. She is also a right-wing Christian chaplain at Martin's Famous Pastry Shop, a company known in Pennsylvania for making potato rolls and for funneling huge amounts of money into the Mastriano campaign. Rebecca Mastriano has also played a prominent role in her husband's campaign. And a few days ago, while on stage at a campaign stop in Warminster, Pennsylvania, Rebecca Mastriano made the following statement about the purpose of the Mastriano for Governor campaign. We are all of, of the same mind of turning our state around and getting things back the, under God's order instead of man's order. We've been under man's order here and we um, it, it hasn't been working. Listening to Rebecca Mastriano's diagnosis of the problem in America's politics as she sees it, well, it makes me wonder what she's talking about. How can she believe this? She says that man's order has not been working in our government. But in what way has that not been working? The entire system of government in the United States is based upon establishing a human order of laws. It's government of the people. The American system is all about having the American people make choices about their own government. Government of the people, by the people, for the people. The alternative that Rebecca Mastriano and Doug Mastriano propose is an order that is based on what's supposed to be someone's idea of what a God wants, not what the people want. The idea of a government based upon the beliefs that some people have about what a God somewhere wants that is what people had suffered under for centuries before the revolution of 1776. The founding of the United States of America was a rejection of the belief in the divine right of kings. It was a rejection of religious monarchy, of religious dictatorship. That's what King George III was all about, not what the United States of America was supposed to be about. Our American democracy is the establishment of order by the people of the nation. It is 
the most foundational political principle in American government, that this is the order set forward by people. To replace the people's order with a God's order would be to replace American democracy with a totalitarian theocracy. And that is what Rebecca Mastriano and her husband, Doug, will do if he is elected governor of Pennsylvania. They're saying that straight out. The Mastrianos seem to hate the very idea of democracy. Now, Rebecca Mastriano here in what you just heard, she claims that we are all of the same mind, that we are all in favor of what she says, getting things back under God's order instead of man's order. But, you know, that isn't true. That isn't true at all. We are not all of the same mind with that. Recent polling shows that the majority of Republicans agree with that. Yes, Recent polling shows that the majority of Republicans agree with Rebecca Mastriano that democracy in America should end so that America can be declared to be an officially Christian nation run by Christians for Christians, by Christians, in the name of their God. Yes, that is what the majority of Republicans want. But the majority of Americans wants the opposite. The majority of Americans as a whole oppose the creation of a Christian dictatorship. The majority of Americans want to keep our democracy alive. Most Americans do not want to allow Christian priests and preachers to take over our country and take the authority to start making rules about everybody's lives. We don't want to live in church 24 hours a day, seven days a week. The majority of Americans want to keep what Rebecca Mastriano hates, what she calls man's order. The majority of us want to keep the ability to make decisions about our own government instead of just handing that over to priestly leadership. The danger of a Christian dictatorship in America was made clear in another speech that Rebecca Mastriano gave just a couple of days before what you just heard. She was at the Life Center Ministries, a church in Harrisburg, Pennsylvania, standing on the stage with her husband, Rebecca Mastriano told the audience that Pennsylvania should allow Christians to have exclusive control over the Pennsylvania state government. She described a new system of government for Pennsylvania in which the Christian God is the sole gatekeeper to power, opening doors and closing doors according to his will in defiance of the will of the people, instead of according to fair laws and procedures established by the people of Pennsylvania. 
We should be declaring God's word. We should be declaring uh, from Revelation um, where it says, you know, when God opens a door, right, no man can shut it or no one can shut it. And when God shuts a door, no one can open it. And that's that's spoken over the church of Philadelphia. And so we need to be declaring God's word that's appropriately applied to our state in this season and our time. Here is Rebecca Mastriano saying that the government of Pennsylvania should be declaring God's word as found in a very specific Bible verse from the book of Revelation, right? Okay. But what exactly is that Bible verse? I think it's pretty important to find out because the essence of this Bible verse, as she's quoting it, is to say that the Christian God should be able to be the gatekeeper of power in American government. That Christianity should be able to open doors to government access and close those doors against Americans. According to what? According to what will that God make that decision? I mean, nobody actually knows. Nobody actually has any coherent sense in the Christian Bible itself of what the heck is motivating this divine being in making all of those kind of wacky decisions. Hey, what made this Christian God create the world in the first place? And then demand child sacrifices and, you know, um, uh, wars and all kinds of crazy stuff. What motivated this God to set rules for people? The Christian Bible doesn't say. So if you have what Rebecca Mastriano is setting up as a government to replace democracy in Pennsylvania and then the United States, uh, based on this, um, this little piece of scripture that she's referring to, she says it's from Revelation. I think we ought to know what that Bible verse is, don't you? Well, um, it just so happens that somebody else who uh, Rebecca Mastriano knows just a couple of weeks ago Uh, cited the very same Bible verse. Julie Green, a self-described Christian prophet who claims to receive direct messages from the Christian God, referred to the very same Bible verse from the book of Revelation. She claims that this Christian God spoke the following words to her. Gorgeous prophetic word on September 16th. So just a few days ago, I have the favor of God that goes before me, that opens up doors that no man can shut. Hmm, that's awfully curious. That sounds remarkably like what Rebecca Mastriano was saying. Uh, Here Julie Green is saying, I have the favor of God who goes before me that opens up doors that no man can shut. And Rebecca Mastriano was saying we should be declaring from Revelation where it says, you know, when God opens a door, right, no man can shut it or no one can shut it. And when God shuts a door, no one can open it. Essentially, uh, human beings have no power and the Christian God has all the power um, to open doors or close doors. Both of these people are talking about that same Bible verse, right? That's awfully curious. Is it a coincidence? No, no, I don't think so. Because actually, Julie Green 
isn't just some random Christian fanatic who thinks that she's talking to God directly. She is a close friend of Doug and Rebecca Mastriano. And Julie Green has been a part of Doug Mastriano's political campaign to become governor of Pennsylvania. This self-appointed Christian prophet is referring to the same Bible verse that her friend Rebecca Mastriano did around the same time. And it's all about the Christian God opening up doors that people have no ability to shut. These are people referring to a Bible verse that disempowers people. So Rebecca Mastriano and Julie Green are quoting the same Bible verse, but you'll hear a little bit of difference and they're paraphrasing it because they were not quoting it word for word. So if we want to understand the context of what these Mastriano for governor proxies, these people with the Mastriano for governor campaign are proposing to do to the state government of Pennsylvania, I think we should go back and look at the original source that they are both referring to. We should look at the actual Bible verse from the book of Revelation. It's from the book of Revelation chapter 3, and it reads as follows. To the angel of the church in Philadelphia write, These are the words of him who is holy and true, who holds the key of David. What he opens, no one can shut, and what he shuts, no one can open. I know your deeds. See, I have placed before you an open door that no one can shut. I know that you have little strength, yet you have kept my word and have not denied my name. I will make those who are of the synagogue of Satan, who claim to be Jews, though they are not, but are liars, I will make them come and fall down at your feet. Whoa there. Hold on. Uh... <laughs> What's this about a synagogue of Satan? Let's let's listen to that again. Let's repeat that last part because it's really important. And let's remember as you're listening to it that Rebecca Mastriano, the wife and significant campaign aide of Doug Mastriano, candidate for governor of Pennsylvania, says that she wants this as part of her God's word to be officially declared as the policy of the state government of Pennsylvania. Here we go. Listen to that again. I will make those who are of the synagogue of Satan, who claim to be Jews, though they are not, but are liars, I will make them come and fall down at your feet. All right. Uh, well, we are starting to get some extra special, extra crispy Christian nationalism here. Uh, this specific Bible verse, the one that Rebecca Mastriano chose to emphasize this week as part of the Mastriano for Governor campaign, has been historically linked to Christian genocide against Jews for centuries, for centuries. The Museum of Tolerance explains, quote, the book of Revelations described the synagogue of Satan, making explicit a linked identity between the devil and the Jews that would continue for centuries, unquote. 
This long history of Christian violence against Jews set the stage for the Nazi Holocaust and all the destruction of World War II. Without the hate represented by the specific Bible verse that Rebecca Mastriano and Julie Green celebrated, the both of them, World War II probably never would have happened. Now, Rebecca Mastriano didn't cite that specific Bible verse by accident, I think. She chose it, right? Remember, Rebecca Mastriano is a professional Christian chaplain. She knows her Bible verses, forwards and backwards. She knows where they're coming from. She knows exactly what she is saying when she points her audience to these anti-Semitic lines from the Christian Bible. She also knows that Christian nationalists in her audience are going to pick up on that reference. The alternative interpretation, if you don't want to believe that, is that Rebecca Mastriano, as a professional Christian chaplain, isn't at all familiar with the Christian Bible, she's ignorant of Christian history, and she doesn't know much about Christian doctrines. She's just making it up as she goes along. Is that what you believe? Well, if that is the case, we have to presume that Rebecca Mastriano is incompetent, and her husband is bringing her forward and help, helping him to set the policy for the entire state of Pennsylvania? And what if she is incompetent? Still, even if Rebecca Mastriano does not know that this is part of the Christian Bible, this line about the synagogue of Satan and making Jews come and, and lie down and prostrate themselves and humiliate themselves at the feet of their Christian rulers, even if you don't know that that is there, well, I mean, it's part of the Christian Bible, isn't it? And it's part of what Rebecca Mastriano would call the Word of God. And she just told us that she wants the Word of God to set government policy in Pennsylvania. And if she's saying she wants that to set the policy and she doesn't even know what that is, I mean, what kind of government is this going to be? What kind of crazy ideas are we opening ourselves up to once we start to base laws on Christian Bible verses like this. I don't think, though, that Rebecca Mastriano has behaved with incompetence here. I think she has behaved with a lack of morality and ethics. Rebecca Mastriano has been pretty successful in her career as a leader of Christian nationalist sects. She has successfully gathered together for the sake of her husband's campaign for governor of Pennsylvania, a vast network of Christian nationalist activists. She has obtained the position of a Christian chaplain at a large Christian nationalist corporation. Before that, she was a Christian chaplain at a place called Marketplace Ministries, and she was a leader of the Christian organization that's called Protestant Women of the Chapel. She's been a Bible study leader, a deacon at her church, and she's helped her husband to become the Republican nominee for governor of Pennsylvania. This is not a woman 
who is not paying attention to what she's doing. This is not somebody who just flippantly chooses a Bible verse to refer to. With this background, it just isn't plausible that Rebecca Mastriano referred to the Bible verse, including the synagogue of Satan, which announces that Jews are going to be forced as somehow devil worshipers to to, to bow down to Christianity. I don't think that she referred to this synagogue of Satan conspiracy theory in the Bible without understanding exactly what she was doing. And it isn't only Rebecca Mastriano and Julie Green who have used this synagogue of Satan reference from the Christian Bible to signal alignment with anti-Semitic hatred. Catholic hate preacher John O'Connor, for example, infamously released a video under the title Synagogue of Satan. And as part of that video, he declares that the Nazi Holocaust is a lie and that Adolf Hitler did not, in fact, murder millions of Jews during World War II. Holocaust denial. Under the title of the Synagogue of Satan from the Christian Bible. You know, we like to think that the extreme authoritarian, violent anti-Semitism of the Nazi party died when Adolf Hitler committed suicide, but it did not. It survived in right-wing Christianity here in the United States and in the Republican Party politicians who have aligned themselves with Christian nationalist preachers. And I'm not just talking about the politicians from our own day. In 1973, the Christian preacher Billy Graham had a telephone conversation with President Richard Nixon in which they both complained about how Jews were interfering with their Republican Party agenda. President Nixon recorded an audio file of that conversation that they had, and that audio file is now available archived by the Nixon Presidential Library. The following sample from that recording shows just what Billy Graham and President Nixon were talking about that day. The first voice that you're going to hear right now is from President Nixon. This has happened to the Jews. It's happened in Spain. It's happened in Germany. It's happening you know, that's uh, an old audio recording from a different time. Um, so I'm going to read that out to you in case you couldn't quite make out what Richard Nixon and Billy Graham were saying. Richard Nixon starts out, this has happened to the Jews. It's happened in Spain. It happened in Germany. It's happening. And now it's going to happen in America if these people don't start behaving. Then Billy Graham cuts in. Well, you know, I told you one time that the Bible talks about two kinds of Jews. One is called the synagogue of Satan. 
They're the ones putting out the pornographic literature. They're the ones putting out these obscene films. And then we go ahead to Richard Nixon saying, I think really they don't deserve to live. Well, we hear Billy Graham in this recording from 1973 talking about the very same Bible verse that Rebecca Mastriano and Julie Green referred to this month. Because Billy Graham thought that his private conversation was not being recorded, well, he got right to the heart of the matter. He got right to what his real Christian values are, using the book of Revelation's phrase, synagogue of Satan. Billy Graham's words let us know that this is not the first time that he told President Nixon about Jews that belong to a synagogue of Satan. He refers to an earlier conversation here. He refers to a previous time that he and Richard Nixon talked about what the Christian Bible says is a demonic organization of Jews who must be forced to kneel at the feet of their Christian masters. So, the Christian Bible's conspiracy theory of a synagogue of Satan, you know, that isn't the sort of thing that an ordinary person would just accidentally refer to more than once, I think. It doesn't just come up in conversation. But Christian nationalist preachers like Billy Graham and Rebecca Mastriano and Julie Green are, like the Nazis, obsessed with the belief that Jews are servants of Satan. And you know, there are these two kinds of Jews that Billy Graham talked about. There's the synagogue of Satan. You know who the others are? They're the Jews who converted to Christianity. So what Billy Graham, what Rebecca Mastriano, what Julie Green are saying here, what the Christian Bible is saying, is that any Jew who does not convert to Christianity is in the synagogue of Satan. President Richard Nixon, his response to Billy Graham's talk about Jews belonging to a synagogue of Satan is chilling. He doesn't miss a beat. He just says he doesn't think that Jews deserve to live. And he's saying that in reference to the Spanish genocide of Jews and the Nazi Holocaust against Jews. This recording from almost 50 years ago, shows that the power of violently hateful Christian nationalists within the Republican Party is not something new. It has been there for decades. It has been festering in Christian churches. It has been behind the doors of political power, hidden, spreading its violent agenda. The difference is that now these Christian nationalists are saying in public what they said in private before. The goal of this Christian nationalist movement is not just to influence American government, but to outright destroy American democracy. To do so for the sake of Nazi ideology. Julie Green, the Christian prophet who has been working as part of the Mastriano for Governor campaign, 
recently gave another prophecy. And here's what that prophecy declared. Saith the Lord, the storm is not coming, it's here. Brace for impact of a spiritual storm that will destroy your enemy's power. The storm is great, and its power will not be denied. Watch them all fall. This is a season for a great fall. Oh, America the beautiful, oh, you have been betrayed, stolen, and infiltrated. But I am the one who has anointed your land, and no matter what has taken place in this land, I have honored the prayers of millions, and I will cleanse this nation once again. So, my children, be prepared for the shaking, because a great shaking is coming. For I, the Lord of hosts, am here to avenge, and it will set you completely free. Their time of removals is here, and your time of great celebrations are about to begin, saith the Lord. Once again, we've got to look at the Christian language that's being used here to really understand what's being said by the new prophet, Julie Green. The Lord of Hosts. That's a title that is used in the Christian Bible and in Christian churches to refer to the Christian God in military terms. Hosts is a fancy word for armies. And we know what armies do. What's the Russian army been doing in Ukraine, for example? When Julie Green chooses this term in her prophecy... She does so to indicate to her followers that the opponents of Christian nationalism are going to be destroyed in an actual military battle. When Julie Green talks about a storm with which the Lord of Hosts will cleanse this nation in a great shaking that will avenge Christian nationalists through a great fall and a time of removals, she's telling her followers to prepare to be a part of something very violent. That is all extremely violent language. It's not loving. It's not gentle. It's not kind. It's not about having a conversation. It's not about holding an election. It's about a military action upcoming by Christian nationalists against the rest of us. This is the end times hope. This is their version of hope, the Christian nationalists. The end times hope of Christian nationalism comes with a goal, not to avoid bloodshed, but to seek out bloodshed, to enact bloodshed, in order to eliminate non-Christians in America so that Jesus can return to earth carrying a sword and throwing everybody who defies him into a lake of fire. This is the language from the Christian Bible. I'm not making it up. They are eagerly looking forward to the fulfillment of an ancient prophecy in which righteous Christians commit genocide that will avenge the crucifixion of Jesus with the deaths of all of those who refuse to join their Christian army. Part of this violent prophecy 
is the Bible verses promise in the book of Revelations that the Christian God will force Jews to fall down at the feet of Christian armies. This prophecy given in part of the Bible verse cited by both Julie Green and Rebecca Mastriano is a call for the slaughter of all of the Jews who have refused to convert to Christianity, who the Christian Bible refers to as the synagogue of Satan, the Jews that Richard Nixon and Billy Graham agreed don't deserve to live. How can people come to believe in this kind of thing? Something like Jews belonging to a synagogue of Satan. It doesn't come from nowhere. Christian nationalism is firmly rooted in a culture of blind faith in religious authorities. And those being human authorities and also the authority of the Christian Bible. And if you start looking at the details of the Christian Bible, there are some things in there that are not at all nice. They're not at all kind or gentle or loving. They are very, very dangerous. Well, if we take a look at the history of where this Christian nationalist political identity comes from. They have the idea that this is part of our um, national identity as the United States of America. This idea of a synagogue of Satan and uh, the Lord of hosts marching righteously to cut down all the non-Christian enemies of their Lord and Savior Jesus in an act of vengeance. Um, it's kind of strange if you have an actual reading of actual American history to suppose that this is the case, but, um, Christian nationalist preachers come up with all sorts of justifications for this. And I found one from a, uh, um, a Christian organization, a Christian nationalist organization out of Missouri, uh, just a few days ago, on September 26, 2022, an organization that calls itself the Faith, Substance, and Evidence University posted a video of one of its classes online. This video shows part of a lecture that is called America is a Christian nation. And the lecturer in this course, a preacher with the Abundant Life Church of Lee's Summit, Missouri, told the audience that, quote, there's 42 Bible verses in the Constitution. And when you look at the amendments for the Bill of Rights and you read through them, it's almost all right out of the Bible. 
Now, once again, I have an audio recording of this, and I'm going to share that with you. And the audio quality is poor. And, you know, uh, the Abundant Life Church does not have the excuse of the primitive 1970s audio technology. Uh, but here goes. Um, th this is the preacher that I just was talking to you about. There's, uh, there's 42 Bible verses in the Constitution. Right? And when you look at the amendments for the Bill of Rights and you read through them, it's almost all right out of the Bible. All right. So once again, here's what he said. There's 42 Bible verses in the Constitution. And when you look at the amendments for the Bill of Rights and you read through them, it's almost all right out of the Bible. That's what this preacher is saying from Abundant Life Church in Lee's Summit, Missouri. You know, in a way, it's kind of fortunate that this lecture was shared online because it gives us a look straight into the heart of Christian nationalism. When we wonder why some Americans believe that the United States is a Christian nation, we don't have to speculate. We can listen to things like this, to Christian nationalists' own explanations of what they're doing and why they believe it themselves. The preacher from the Abundant Life Church cites two specific claims that he says prove that the United States was founded as a Christian nation. First, he says, there are 42 Bible verses in the Constitution. Second, he says, almost all of the Bill of Rights is right out of the Bible, material taken directly from the Christian Bible. These two claims offer a very straightforward test of whether Christian nationalism is credible, whether it's historically accurate, whether it's factually correct. So, are these two Christian nationalist claims credible? Are they reliable? No. Though the Abundant Life Church preacher claims that there are 42 Bible verses in the Constitution of the United States of America, if you actually read the Constitution, you will find absolutely zero verses from the Christian Bible in the text. They simply are not there. So where did the Faith, Substance, and Evidence University get the idea that the Constitution is jam-packed full of Bible verses? Well, for many years, Christian preacher David Barton has made a number of speeches bragging that he can point to many cases from the Christian Bible, uh, many verses from the Christian Bible, and show that they are exactly the same as selections of text from the U.S. Constitution. Now, there's a trick in this. The trick is that David Barton almost never actually follows up this brag by identifying any specific Bible verse that matches a specific line from the Constitution. The preacher from the Abundant Life Church has copied this trick. In his lecture for the Faith, Substance, and Evidence University, he merely asserted that there are 42 Bible verses in the Constitution. He didn't actually identify a single one of them. As luck would have it, on a rare occasion, David Barton has identified 
a specific Christian Bible verse that he says is present in the Constitution. Now, the trouble is that those texts don't actually line up. And I'm going to show you what I mean. Right Wing Watch is a great group that has actually analyzed some of this. And I encourage you to go and visit their website at rightwingwatch.org and support their work. One of the more egregious errors in David Barton's assertions is that a line from Article 2, Section 1, Clause 5 of the Constitution is the very same language as you see in Deuteronomy chapter 17, verse 15 from the Christian Bible. Well, here's the line from Deuteronomy. Thou shalt in any wise set him king over thee, whom the Lord thy God shall choose. One from among thy brethren shalt thou set king over thee. Thou mayest not set a stranger over thee, which is not thy brother. Huh. Do you remember any line in the Constitution that's like that? Well, uh, David Barton says it's Article 2, Section 1, Clause 5 from the Constitution. But here's what that text says. I'm going to read that myself. Quote, No person except a natural-born citizen or a citizen of the United States at the time of the adoption of this Constitution shall be eligible to the office of president. Unquote. Hmm. Well, you know... The differences between these two texts are pretty obvious, I think. The line from the Christian Bible directs the appointment of a king. The line from the Constitution of the United States directs the election of a president. A president is not a king. Every ruler approved of by the Christian Bible is a king. In the United States of America, we do not have kings. Furthermore, the line from the Christian Bible from the book of Deuteronomy states that kings are to be appointed by a god. That is not what the Constitution of the United States of America says. The Constitution states that the president shall be chosen by electors who are chosen by state legislatures. And later amendments to the Constitution provide that these electors shall be chosen through democratic elections involving all adult citizens of the United States. There is no mention of any God having any power anywhere in the Constitution, certainly not to vote in our elections or to command them. In fact, the Constitution states that, quote, no religious test shall ever be required as a qualification to any office or public trust in the United States. That directly contradicts the arrangement from Deuteronomy in the Christian Bible. Of course, the lecture from the Abundant Life church preacher doesn't even get this specific in his wrongness. There simply aren't any Bible verses in the Constitution at all. It's that plain. They just aren't there. But what about what this preacher says about the Bill of Rights? The Abundant Life Church preacher claims that, quote, when you look at the amendments for the Bill of Rights and you read through them, it's almost all right out of the Bible. Is that true? Let's go through the text of the Bill of Rights to find out. Here's the First Amendment. 
Congress shall make no law respecting an establishment of religion, or prohibiting the free exercise thereof, or abridging the freedom of speech, or of the press, or of the right of the people to peaceably assemble, uh, and to to petition the government for a redress of grievances. All right. Well, there's nothing, uh, anything at all like Congress in the Christian Bible. The Christian Bible is opposed to the freedom of religion with commands all over the place that people must follow just one religion or be punished with torture and death. The Christian Bible is against free speech, repeatedly establishing laws about forms of speech that will not be allowed. No blasphemy, right? There is no mention of the right to assemble for all people in the Christian Bible or any right to petition any government. So no, the First Amendment in the Bill of Rights is not at all based on the Christian Bible. Let's go to the Second Amendment. Okay, Christian nationalists tend to love this amendment. It says, a well-regulated militia being necessary to the security of a free state, the right of the people to keep and bear arms shall not be infringed. Now, I know uh, that saying this is going to freak out Christian nationalist gun nuts, uh, but there is no Christian Bible verse that says anything like this. There is no Christian Bible verse that promises the right of people to carry weapons. It just isn't there in the Christian Bible. Hmm. Let's go on to the Third Amendment in the Bill of Rights. No soldier shall in time of peace be quartered in any house without the consent of the owner, nor in time of war, but in a manner to be prescribed by law. Okay, so um, is there any biblical right to prevent soldiers from entering into and sleeping in your home? No, there is not. The Christian Bible has no such thing. Just like the First and Second Amendments in the Bill of Rights, the Third Amendment in the Bill of Rights has nothing to do with the Christian Bible. Okay, Amendment number four, maybe this one, right? The Fourth Amendment to the Constitution in the Bill of Rights says, The right of the people to be secure in their persons, houses, papers, and effects against unreasonable search and seizures shall not be violated... And no warrants shall issue but upon probable cause, supported by oath or affirmation and particularly describing the place to be searched and the persons or things to be seized. It is this amendment, by the way, in the Bill of Rights, the Fourth Amendment, that makes the FBI search of Mar-a-Lago completely legitimate under the law and under the Constitution. But in the Christian Bible, is there any such right? Uh, Well, protection from unreasonable search and seizure are not in the Christian Bible. Neither is the legal mechanism of a search warrant. It's just not there. Once again, here is an amendment in the Bill of Rights that has zero connection to the Christian Bible. The Fifth Amendment in the Bill of Rights says... No person shall be held to answer for a capital or otherwise infamous crime 
unless on a presentment or indictment of a grand jury, except in cases arising in land or naval forces or in the militia when in actual service in time of war or public danger. Nor shall any person be subject for the same offense to be twice put in jeopardy of life or limb, nor shall be compelled in any criminal case to be a witness against himself, nor be deprived of life, liberty, or property without due process of law, nor shall private property be taken for public use without just compensation. Okay, there's a lot in there in the Fifth Amendment to the U.S. Constitution. Is there anything that's connected to the Christian Bible? Once again, no. There is no concept of a grand jury anywhere in the Christian Bible. There is no biblical concept of protection from double jeopardy. There is no biblical concept of due process of law, the protection of private property, or protection from self-incrimination either. The Fifth Amendment, like all the others so far, has no connection to the Christian Bible at all. The Sixth Amendment says, In all criminal prosecutions, the accused shall enjoy the right to a speedy and public trial by an impartial jury of the state and district wherein the crime shall have been committed, which district shall have been previously ascertained by law, and to be informed of the nature and cause of this accusation, to be confronted with the witnesses against him, to have compulsory process for obtaining witnesses in his favor, and to have the assistance of counsel for his defense. <clears throat> okay, that's the Sixth Amendment in the Bill of Rights. The Christian Bible does not promise a speedy and public trial. In fact, there's really not any biblical promise of any trials at all. There are many places in the Christian Bible where it's proposed that legal judgments should simply be made by people who feel aggrieved and have the power to take action without any due process at all. There definitely is not a right to be represented by a lawyer or the right to confront witnesses in the Christian Bible. Habeas corpus also is not a biblical phrase. None of this stuff comes from the Christian Bible. Once again, we're striking out here. There is no connection to the Christian Bible. <sighs> okay. Amendment 7. The Seventh Amendment to the Constitution states, In suits at common law where the value in controversy shall exceed $20, the right of trial by jury shall be preserved, and no fact tried by a jury shall otherwise be re-examined in any court of the United States than according to the rules of the common law. Hmm. Well, okay. There's no dollars in the Christian Bible. There is no trial by jury. And uh, there's no United States um, in the Christian Bible. Um, so there's really no connection. There's no idea of a lawsuit at all in the Christian Bible. The Seventh Amendment in the Bill of Rights. Zero connection to the Christian Bible. Okay, moving on to Amendment 8. This one's much shorter. It says, 
excessive bail shall not be required, nor excessive fines imposed, nor cruel and unusual punishments inflicted. Cruel and unusual punishments are not prohibited in the Christian Bible. They are encouraged in the Christian Bible. Okay. Amendment number nine. The enumeration in the Constitution of Certain Rights shall not be construed to deny or disparage others retained by the people. Okay. This amendment in the Bill of Rights simply states that there may be other rights other than those specifically mentioned in the Constitution, and people get to have those rights too. It says nothing about these rights being from the Christian Bible. In fact, the Christian Bible basically states that people don't really have rights. In the Christian Bible, there's just one being who has all the rights. That is the Christian God. And people just have to do whatever that God says, even if the God changes his mind or is cruel and unfair about it. It doesn't matter. In Christianity, in the Christian Bible, only the Christian God has rights and people have zero rights. Look at the example of Job, okay? Uh, Basically, that's a great big long story about Um, two pals who are Satan and God, they're friends and they're just having a great conversation, kind of like over a divine beer or something. They're saying, hey, you know what? Let's just totally take that human being over there and do to him whatever we want to, the worst stuff. And let's see what he does. And that human being named Job has no right, no right to do anything about it. That is what that entire story is all about. That is what amounts to the legal standard of the Christian Bible. And thank goodness that is not what we see in Amendment 9. Now, there are 10 amendments in the Bill of Rights, so we've got one more, one more chance for there to be even an itsy-bitsy tiny link to the Christian Bible. And this says... The powers not delegated to the United States by the Constitution, nor prohibited by it to the states, are reserved to the states, respectively, or to the people. Wow. Well, there's no United States in the Christian Bible. There's no states as part of the United States. And, you know, as we saw with Rebecca Mastriano's... um, Christian nationalist Bible quote. Um, There's no idea of the people really having rights, as is asserted in this amendment, uh, this part of the Bill of Rights. In fact, Rebecca Mastriano wants an end to people's rights. She wants God to have all the rights again. So, no, this is not connected to the Christian Bible. There is zero inspiration, zero connection from the Bill of Rights to the Christian Bible. There's nothing at all. It is as if the Bill of Rights was written in reaction against the Christian Bible. Because I don't think that this could get more clear. Every single amendment in the Bill of Rights is profoundly unbiblical. 
The rights that we gain from these constitutional amendments have absolutely no roots in Christianity. They are human, secular innovations. It doesn't take much time to fact-check this, okay? To fact-check the Christian nationalist assertion made by that preacher from Lee's Summit, Missouri, the Abundant Life Church that's connected to this Faith and Substance and Evidence University, okay? doesn't take a lot of effort to fact-check that. We can do a 60-second search and a quick reading of the Constitution. It shows that these claims that are made by that preacher in that class, they are obviously false. There is no legitimate basis, in fact, for believing these ideas. So how could any university provide classes with such clearly wrong information? Well, you may have guessed it. The Faith Substance and Evidence University is not actually a university. It doesn't have any accreditation. It doesn't offer professional degrees that are recognized by anyone other than the people who are associated with the Faith, Substance, and Evidence University. It's like Trump University. It's a totally fake university, not a university at all. Still, the Faith, Substance, and Evidence University is going to charge people money to attend its lectures. They do. The class that we just heard that recording from with the obviously false information that teaches that there are 42 Bible verses in the Constitution and that the Bill of Rights is somehow connected to the Christian Bible, they charge you $250 to sit there and listen to that malarkey. Imagine paying $250 to take a class at a fake university that teaches you information that is just plain wrong. Well, that is what Christian nationalist education looks like. And this is a scary thing, but uh, it's true, folks. The Supreme Court of the United States this summer, 2022, in the case Carson versus Macon, has required that state governments provide funding for Christian nationalist academies where they teach children fake information like this. There are generations of Christian schooled children and homeschooled children who are growing up being told by irresponsible adults that the Bible has, uh, or the Constitution has 42 Bible verses, or that the Bill of Rights is based in the Bible. These poor children have no basis for fact-checking this because they aren't given the resources to do that. We as adults can. And we as adults need to pay attention to the fact that the Christian nationalist majority on the Supreme Court of the United States is requiring government funding for this disinformation and calling it school. Well, that's not what it is. It's not school. These are religious indoctrination academies here in the United States. 
This is just one of the many reasons that we need to resist the Christian nationalist effort to take over and destroy not just our schools, but the democratic government of the United States of America, the very freedoms that we say that we cherish are being attacked by Christian nationalists. So what can you do? At the end of every podcast, I like to talk about something that you can do to confront Christian nationalism, to strengthen your resistance, your refusal to submit to this kind of thing. Now, this is going to seem a little bit counterintuitive, but here's my suggestion this week. I want you to go ahead and read through the Christian Bible. And I don't just mean, you know, listening to some pastor give you um, a sermon about it or reading the highlights. I want you to start to look through the details and become familiar with them. Because it's when you read the Bible that it starts to be really clear how absurd it is and how awful and violent and unkind and very anti-democratic it is. How authoritarian and archaic, so out of date, the Christian Bible. And we need to know this because Republican Party, Christian nationalists, and some in the Democratic Party too, they're out there saying that they want to base American government on the Christian Bible. They are saying that they want America to be a Christian nation. And you know what that means? It means, for example, in that verse from the book of Revelation, that Rebecca Mastriano and her friend Julie Green and Billy Graham as well, um, that they cite with such enthusiasm, it includes that verse that says that Jews should be subjugated, that Jews should be forced to get down on the ground and kneel at the feet of their Christian rulers. Because that's the kind of thing that Adolf Hitler believed too. If you support the idea that America is a Christian nation, you support Nazi ideology with a swastika. There is no way around it once you start looking at what is actually in the Christian Bible. And you can't say, oh no, that's just all in the Old Testament that people are mean and nasty and cruel. It's not. The book of Revelation is at the end of the New Testament. Okay? So take a look at the Christian Bible. Do not accept it on faith what the preachers in Christian nationalist churches are telling you. And, you know, there are a lot of people in progressive Christian churches, too, who are saying, oh, this Christian nationalism, well, they're just ignorant. They don't know about the Bible. They, uh, they are saying all kinds of nasty things, but that's not what the Bible says. And, you know, that is really not true, actually. Um, you know, you can say this about Rebecca Mastriano. She is cruel. She is deceptive. She is vindictive. She's judgmental. But she's, she is not ignorant 
of what is in the Christian Bible. She is citing it, and you know what? She's correct. The Christian Bible is anti-Semitic. It really is. And it really does support the kinds of things that the Nazi party in Germany did in the 1930s and 1940s. Now, if you're a progressive Christian, you might not like me saying that. But um, I think that this is important to confront because we have this mythology of what the Bible is, of what Christianity is. And uh, we've used that to enable people like Christian nationalists to have it both ways. So on the one hand, Christian nationalists can say, golly, who doesn't support Christianity? It's all about peace and love and just being good people and nice neighbors to each other. And then they can turn around and say, well, you know, this Bible verse says that we ought to subjugate the Jews. And this other Bible verse says that slavery is totally great. And this other one says, oh, yeah, Lord of hosts, let's go with that. Christian warfare to subjugate everybody who refuses to join our religion. That's OK, too. And then when you criticize them for that, they then they just clasp their hands together and clutch their pearls and say, my golly, I mean, who could oppose Christianity, which is just about peace and love? Well, there is a reason that Christian nationalists can get away with that, which is that people haven't mostly read the Bible. They say that they believe in it, but they haven't read it. And if you actually read it and you pay attention to the details, you get a very different idea of what a Christian government would be. And you get a very clear idea about why we must never allow our American democracy to be degraded to that level. So don't just accept on faith what Christian nationalists and Christian preachers, whether they're right-wing or progressive, tell you about what the Bible really says. Read it for yourself. Think for yourself. Act for yourself. Independent human autonomy is absolutely necessary if our democracy is going to survive. And if we Americans refuse to educate ourselves, to inform ourselves, to ask critical and skeptical questions, if we don't do that, if we create a special exemption for religion, saying that it must never be questioned, must never be doubted, must never be examined in detail, well, we're not going to have our freedom anymore because there are opportunists who are using Christianity and they're doing it authentically. They're taking it from Christian texts. They are members of Christian churches. They are real Christians, not fake Christians. These people are dedicated to achieving what the Bible promises them, which is a government with a king, a government run by a king and a bunch of priests who get to just make up stuff, and that becomes the law. You know, I was raised to believe that the United States of America could be something different. The Constitution is not a perfect document. 
The Bill of Rights is not perfect, but it is a far step better than that. In our election in just about a month from now, we're going to have the chance to choose between the vision of Christian nationalism that the Republican Party is almost universally promoting at this point and something else, something else which is not perfect, which often has failings, but it is free, and that is democracy. And I urge you to get involved, to educate yourself, read that Bible, read the Constitution too, and then find out who's running for Congress in your area, who's running for Senate. Get informed, get involved. The Stop Christian Nationalism podcast will be back next week because it is a guarantee that we're going to have more Christian nationalist nonsense to talk about. We are going to stick with this podcast until there is no more need, until Christian nationalism is subdued. And the alternative is not banning Christian nationalism. It's simply disempowering it by enlightening the American people, by giving people the information and opportunity to make an informed choice. Because in a free country, Christian nationalism should be an option that's free for people to take, but one that the people are wise enough to leave be. I look forward to having you back next week. We have a lot to talk about.